Thanks, Debbie. <clears throat> and hello, everybody. Really nice to see you all this morning. Uh, really warm welcome. Great to, great to meet with you all. Um, this morning, we're thinking about when life is a bit disappointing. And life is often disappointing, isn't it? You know, we have big dreams, but we can fail to reach them. Life can fail to live up to what we'd hoped. I don't know, but take work, for instance. Maybe for some of us, we'd long to find a job that would satisfy, that would give us purpose, a job that would be able to use our abilities, a job where we'd be able to make life better for others. But in reality, we find that work is often slow um, and frustrating. It seems to take more out of us than we're able to give to help others. Or maybe it's a perfect family. We'd love a perfect family. A spouse who truly understands us, who's always fun to be with, who's our greatest cheerleader. We'd love 2.2 impeccably behaved children um, and supportive in-laws. But then maybe we don't ever meet a partner who suits us. Or maybe we do have a partner, but we find out they have feet of clay and they're often more interested in themselves than in us. And then there's the pain of not being able to have children. Or maybe children do come, but then they're really difficult to parent. And with children, we can have hopes for them, can't we? Hopes that they grow up to be happy and healthy and successful and competent. But then reality comes and there are learning difficulties and there are mental health problems. Life can often be um, disappointing. And when we're disappointed, it's easy to look around for something else, something else to find satisfaction. We can have an if only. If only I had this, then life would be good. Or if only I could do that, I'd be happy. So a question for us to think about this morning is, what's your if only? What is that thing that if only you had you could be satisfied. The good life would be if you had this. Well, in our Bible story, Bible reading this morning, we get a glimpse of disappointment, don't we? In the midst of celebration, tragedy. They say your wedding day should be the best day of your life. But here, everything has gone wrong. It started well, but now there is no more wine. It's so frustrating. If only he'd bought 50 more bottles of wine. If only the guests hadn't been so thirsty. Back then, back in the day this was written, it's the groom's responsibility to provide the wine. And he's here, he's in hot water. The bride's family are turning to him saying, why didn't you value us more to give us more wine? His new bride is probably in some corner crying. It's a shame on a culture to have invited loads of guests around, but then to be unable to provide for them is public, publicly humiliating. The groom may well be thinking, it's all over. I'm going to have to call this wedding off and move a long way away and try and start life again. Life is so disappointing, if only he'd bought more wine. But into this mess, into the disappointment of life, into their broken dreams, 
steps Jesus. And he transforms everything here, doesn't he? Suddenly, wine is flowing all over the courtyard. 800 bottles of the finest wine. Tears of pain turn to tears of joy. The groom who was publicly shamed is now publicly honoured. The master of the ceremonies um, turns to the groom with a beam on his face and says, you had us all worried there, mates. We thought this was going down. But you've saved the best wine I've ever tasted till last. Look what he says, verse 10. He called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best wine till now. Into the disappointment, Jesus comes and he brings the best wine, symbolizing joy. He brings joy, 800 bottles of the stuff. And the result is, verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. His disciples believed in him. His disciples put their hope in Jesus. The disciples made Jesus their if only. And Jesus is the best if only. He is much better than the groom's if only. um, And he can be better than our if only um, too. So it's my prayer for us this morning as we look at this old story that we would see the joy that Jesus brings. We would see the banquet Jesus promises to provide. And so then in our disappointments, our difficulties, our brokenness, we would look to him. Why don't I pray that God would do that amongst us this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for Jesus and we pray now you would show us more of his wonder, his glory, that we might hope in him. Amen. Well, at first glance, this story is basically a failing wedding and Jesus steps into it and makes everything okay again. But if that was all it was, well, then Jesus would just become an excellent party planner, wouldn't he? You know, your 18th, your 21st, your New Year's Eve party's coming up. Make sure you have Jesus on the guest list um, and everything is going to go really well. But interestingly, that's not the result here. That result, let me read it again, verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of his signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The disciples believe in him. They see him as more than a party planner, more even than a powerful magician. They see him as God. And so they believe um, and trust in him. But why? Why Why do they see him that way? And the answer is because it's a sign. That's what it says in verse 11. It's the first of his signs. Now, signs point to something. Um, And now, when I was on holiday, we were on holiday in the Peak District District two weeks ago. And um, our holiday finished on a Sunday. And we thought, oh, we'll come home for church. We actually went to a church in Preston, um, one that we used to belong to. But anyway, so we got in the car and we were driving home. We got stuck behind this extra long vehicle. Okay, it's going really, really slow around these Peak District roads. Our journey was meant to be just over two hours. took a bit longer than that. Um, And we were, you know, it felt like we'd gone a little way. And then CJ, our baby, he starts screaming his head off. And then everybody else, well, not everybody, exaggeration, 
a number of other people in the car decide to start shouting at him, telling him to be quiet. Um, as you can imagine, it wasn't our finest hour. But then we see this on the screen. And I can't tell you how good it was to see the sign. It was amazing. But the odd thing was, when we saw the sign, we didn't just stop, get everybody out of the car and say, oh, look at this sign, isn't that amazing? We didn't have a little party around the sign. What we did, actually, is we kept going. We kept going to where the sign pointed. I mean, that's what signs do, isn't it? Signs point to something. So that's what we're going to do with our story this morning. We're going to look at this wedding in Cana of Galilee, and we're going to look at where it points, where the sign points us. And to do that, we need some help from Isaiah. So we're going to have a look at Isaiah 24, which is page 708, if you're in a church Bible, 708, Isaiah 24. And Isaiah 24, it uses the picture of wine running out to talk about the disappointments in life the brokenness of life. Because as we look around, the world is not as it should be, is it? And that's because we're not as we should be. It's because we've walked out um, on God. So let me read um, from verse 4, from Isaiah 24. It says this, The earth dries up and withers, the world languishes and withers, the heavens languish with the earth. The earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt. Therefore, earth's inhabitants are burnt up, and very few are left. The new wine dries up, and the, and the vine withers. All the merrymakers groan. The joyful tambourines are stilled. The noise of the revelers has stopped. The joyful harp is silent. No longer do they drink wine with a song. Their beer is bitter to its drinkers. The ruined cities lie desolate. The entrance to every house is barred. In the streets they cry out for wine. All joy turns to gloom. All joyful sounds are banished from the earth. The city is left in ruins. Its gate is battered to pieces. So Isaiah 24 says, because we've turned our backs on God. The world now promises much but doesn't deliver. It's disappointing. It's broken. And death has entered the world. But the story doesn't end there. Just on the next page, Isaiah 25 speaks about what God will do. Let me read from verse 6. It says this, On, the, on this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. So the day is coming, the day is coming when God will forgive his people when his people will trust him and he will save them. The day is coming when he will wipe away every tear from their eye. And this little wedding in John chapter 2, in backwater Cana, is a glimpse of that day. It's a sign pointing to that day. It shows us that Jesus is God. He's the one that forgives, the one who takes away shame. He's the one that turns tears of pain into tears of joy. 
He's the one that takes people to himself to live in paradise with him, enjoying the best party that will never end. So that's the big picture of what's going on. Let's just look at a couple of specifics um, together. And the first one we're going to look at is the stone water jars. It's there in verse 6. You see, Jesus could have turned the water in the well into wine, couldn't he? He could have done that, but he doesn't. He chooses these water jars. Let's look at them. Verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 litres. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. So here you go, you've got huge jars and they're used for ceremonial washing. They have to be so big because the Jews had to keep washing themselves. The Jewish people would wash themselves, trying to wash themselves clean so that God would be happy with them. Every day, every mealtime, they'd have to wash themselves again because the problem was they kept doing wrong things. They kept needing more washing. But here, Jesus comes and now the jars are no longer needed. The jars that were used for washing now are used to hold wine, now are used for celebration, now are used for joy. You see, Jesus brings true and full forgiveness. With Jesus, we don't need constant washing. There is no debt we have to pay. We're forgiven fully and freely. It's interesting in the story that Mary comes to Jesus. She comes to Jesus hoping that he will do something to solve the embarrassment of the situation so the party can continue. But Jesus knows for the true party to come, the true wedding to come, it will only come through embarrassment and shame. Because Jesus had to go to the cross where he hung naked, exposed and shameful. He hung there so that he might take away our shame and that we might never need to mention it again. At the beginning we talked about an if only, didn't we? Maybe your if only is, if only I hadn't done that. If only I hadn't said that word to my children, that means that um, I'm now distant from them. If only I hadn't made that first trip to the bookies. Well, here Jesus forgives fully and freely. Jesus hung on the cross naked so he might clothe us with his perfection. And the wonderful news is we get to enjoy it today, don't we? We get to be forgiven today. But there is more to enjoy as well. Because like the Jewish people, we still do go on and mess up, don't we? We're forgiven, but we still mess up. Well, our day is coming when Jesus will remove all evil from us forever. No more will we fail. No more will we mess up. And no more will the consequences of our past actions catch up with us. That's the water jar. <clears throat> Let's look at the groom. Now the groom, he was the person that was meant to supply the wine um, for the wedding. But here he doesn't. But let's just look what happens when he's congratulated for providing the wine. It's there in verse, well, we'll begin at verse 9, halfway through. So the master of ceremonies calls the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs. 
Now it's interesting, isn't it? We get no response from the groom. He doesn't have a speaking part, no response when he's congratulated for what he's provided. And that's because he didn't provide it, didn't he? Jesus has quietly stepped into the shoes of the groom here. Jesus is the true and better groom, the one who marries his people. So if you're if only, if you're if only revolved around family, well here is a spouse who will never let you down, who provides wine, the wine of joy in abundance, who today we can know, today we can talk to in prayer, Today we can enjoy his promises to provide and protect us. But there is also more to come. The day will come when we will see him face to face and where he will wipe away every tear with his hands from our eyes. And this wedding in Cana is a glimpse of that final day. It begins, doesn't it, in verse 1, it begins on the third day. If you count up all the days... Um, in John's Gospel since Jesus began his ministry, we find out that this is number seven, the seventh day. Creation was made in seven days, wasn't it? On the seventh day, God rested and blessed it. A picture of paradise, of enjoying the goodness of all that God had made. And the promise of the Bible is, we can enter back into that rest. We can enter into the paradise of God, to enjoy peace and plenty and enjoy the personal presence of God forever. So what was your if only? If it involved peace, if it involved plenty, if it involved personal presence of one you loved, or if it involved permanence and never ending, well, here we have it in abundance. 800 bottles of the best wine, joy that overflows, a God who loves you so much, he forgives you and marries you. If you have all the treasure in the world, but you don't have Jesus, you'll find you have nothing. If we have nothing in this life, but we have Jesus, we'll find we have everything. So this week, let's make Jesus our if only. <coughs> Last week, I gave us a couple of questions to think about at the end of the sermon, um, and I've got a couple here today for us. Um, they are, this last week, how did you seek to find your if only? And then what would it look like this week to seek Jesus in those moments um, instead? And I probably shouldn't ask you to do something that I'm not prepared to do myself. Um, so here you go. Let me try and give a very trivial answer to this question. Um, it's Monday night. We ran big questions here. I'm locking up um, to go home. On the walk from the door here to the do my front door, I, um, I eat three pieces of cake. Now, it's not very far, is it? So why did I do that? Well, I think in part I was tired. It was late. And I felt if only I had more energy. Cake promised energy, sugar. Um, so I took it. But more than that, I think as well, you know, big questions, it was a new thing. I wondered how had it gone. I wasn't convinced that I had done as good a job as I could have done. Cake promised comfort. So I ate it. But clearly it didn't give me enough, did it? Because otherwise I would have stopped at one slice. 
If we'd lived any further, um, I don't know how much I'd have eaten. Um, a better response in that moment would have been to turn to the Lord, wouldn't it? To have talked to him about my feelings. Um, to ask him for strength, energy and comfort. To remember that I don't need to earn my standing before him, but I'm his dearly loved child. To ask him for help that I might wait for the day when all insecurities and all tiredness will be no more. Well, we'll do what we did last week. If you'd like to talk to the person sitting next to you or nearby, um, go ahead and do that. Um, otherwise, um, think about it to yourself. Um, and in a moment's time, um, the band will play our next song. Thank you.